Welcome to the State of Business with the Ohio Society of CPAs. I'm Jessica Salerno Shoemaker, Senior Content Manager at OSCPA, and this is the show where we bring you the latest news impacting the business and accounting world from top experts. In this episode, I speak with James Rump, CPA and Enterprise Anti-Fraud Leader at Nationwide. James will present at our upcoming Fraud and Forensic Conference on December 20th, covering fraud psychology. We talked about the evolution of fraud, what CPAs should look out for, and common mistakes to avoid. We kick things off with James telling me more about opportunistic fraud, where people might exaggerate the truth or omit parts of the full truth as opposed to going into a situation with the intent to commit fraud from the beginning. Here's what he had to say. I work within the insurance industry uh, and it's very uh, prevalent there, especially in the property and casualty space where you have somebody that has a legitimate claim and they um, get into an auto accident and turn in a legitimate claim and then pad their claim to make up for maybe the premium that they pay or the fact that they've got to pay a deductible or whatever it might be. So they didn't go into the situation necessarily planning on committing fraud, uh, but then when the opportunity arose, they were able to rationalize it, maybe feel some pressure, maybe they are having financial difficulties or whatever it might be. Uh, they make those kind of little lies in their mind uh, that end up maybe only being a, a relatively a small amount, like $1,000 or less. But then when you add that up going across an entire uh, United States that we have, it adds up to a lot of money that in, ends up impacting our our insureds and the, and the premiums that they pay. So that's just kind of one example. But then something like life insurance, it might be that someone uh, smokes just a small amount, uh, a couple of cigarettes a day, and on their life insurance application, it asks if they smoke or not. And then they say, no, I, I don't smoke because in their mind, they only smoke a couple of cigarettes a day compared to the person that smokes 30 cigarettes a day. Uh, and that's where if we can leverage behavioral science when, on the way that we ask questions, we can help elicit the truth proactively as opposed to trying to catch the people that are, are lying on an application, uh, taking advantage of that opportunistic fraud. Uh, so an example would be, how much do you smoke? Do you smoke 30 plus cigarettes a day, 10 to 20, 5 to 10, 1 to 2, none in the last year, like really giving them options so that they don't have that stigma of feeling like they're smoking as much as someone that smokes more, uh, but we can still get a truthful response at that point. And you mentioned behavioral science and of course, psychology. How does that yeah. play into yeah. you know being aware of fraud and knowing what to look for? So it, it all comes back to the fraud triangle, which is pretty well known within the accounting industry, where, where you have three legs of, of the fraud triangle. You have pressure, rationalization, and opportunity. And most organizations focus on opportunity. So how can we put in better controls, change our control environment to help make sure that fraud doesn't occur, which is generally a great practice because that's where, what you can control the most. You can't necessarily control how someone rationalizes um, an opportunity to commit fraud or the pressure that they have in their life. 
even for internal employees, uh, but then also for the threats of external actors, uh, third parties, whether they be customers or just organized crime groups or whatever it might be. Um, all three legs of the fraud triangle have to exist in order for fraud to occur. So then we focus on opportunity, but don't put any focus on pressure or rationalization. We're missing opportunity, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, there are ways, even though we can't prevent it completely or completely impact someone's pressure or rationalization, there are ways that we can. So if you're talking about an employee with pressure, an organization just offering confidential, uh, no-cost counseling is one way to help with that. So as opposed to just saying, hey, we can't really do anything to impact the pressure, so we're going to put all of our focus on, on the opportunity side. Uh, you can do that. It's not going to necessarily stop everything, but it's at least uh, contributing to reduced fraud risk. And then you look at something like rationalization, and there uh, it gets into how they can justify the fraud. They don't want to feel like they're a horrible person. Uh, they've got to be able to rationalize the fraud in their mind. Uh, so it might be no one will get hurt uh, or um, the company doesn't uh, care about the employees and this is just my way to, to get back or whatever it might be. Uh, the more actually that same example, the confidential counseling, like just making that available, paying for that at no cost for employees can be a way to help show that the organization cares and, and help reduce the ability to rationalize fraud against that company. Uh, so just different ways to, to try to, to leverage uh, pressure and rationalization to help reduce fraud risk instead of just keeping the focus on opportunity, which is where most people put most of their focus, if not all. <clears throat> And what are some of the recent fraud trends that uh, CPAs should look out for and be aware of um, in their day-to-day -day work? Sure. Uh, one that's really big right now is business email compromise. And it's not necessarily new. Um, it's where someone takes over someone else's email and interjects themselves into a transaction or uses that to help further some fraud. And our industry has seen it a lot within law firms, which I'm sure you have some members that are uh, within law firms where a third party fraudster will go in and they'll, they'll take over someone's email account, their law firm's email account, and then email in, um, trying to change information on a payment. Uh, so if we have a claim, somebody in our industry has a claim that they're owed a certain amount of money and it's being sent by ACH, electronic transfer. Uh, if they can get in the middle of that and get it to a bank account that they control, the fraudster, then it's a way that they can steal money. We've in the past seen even CPA firms being targets uh, for this type of scheme as well, where if you think about it, they have access to a lot of different people's information and sometimes don't have as strong as cybersecurity controls as um, maybe some other companies may have. Uh, so if they can get in uh, and learn of information through a, a third party, like a law firm or a CPA firm, 
then they can use that information against someone else to, to commit fraud. So even if it's as much as learning that someone has a bank account based on a 1099 that they have in their tax files or seeing that someone has a retirement account based on a 1099 that's in their files uh, for tax returns, that can then be used where they now have the social security number, they, have, they know that there's money at a certain organization and then can use that to go and, and try to steal that. Uh, so it's a pretty relevant uh, risk for the accounting industry as a whole, uh, just based on whatever role you're in. But even, even if you're doing tax returns or something like that, you can become a target uh, for someone trying to get that type of information to commit fraud elsewhere. You know, when it comes to fraud and keeping an eye out and being aware that you've heard CPAs, accountants miss in the past that you would say, hey, you know, this is one of the common areas that that does get overlooked and you need to be aware of it. Uh, I would say just broadly having a skeptical professional skepticism uh, in, in our work is is critical. Uh, so sometimes we can kind of be too too engrossed in what we're doing and and not necessarily see something that's kind of running right past us. Um, so it's not as much as going down and necessarily verifying everything that you're told necessarily, uh, but it's also not the other side of just taking people's word for for what what they tell you too. So having that professional skepticism, um, making sure that we understand. Um, the big picture too, uh, so staying away from just, this is what we did last year, maybe in an audit or something like that. Like, does it make sense that we're doing it the way that we're doing and does the, do the results make sense? And and if not having that courage to to dig further to, to, to better understand, to make sure that you understand what's going on. And James, I think it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, having courage, because it seems like when we talk about psychology and the behavioral part of this is sometimes um, it can mean kind of pushing past those awkward moments or those concerning moments to to really looking into something that might be an issue, which um, I'm guessing, especially if it's with colleagues or peers, like can be uncomfortable for people. Sure, definitely. And what ways would you say um, CPAs need to, especially for the future, need to you know, increase their education, make sure that they are up to date on um, really being able to look for the different areas of fraud? Uh, I would say it really just depends on what their their work is. So if if it's in the auditing space, which might be a, a common area, uh, just really understanding the businesses that we're working with is, is important, just as important. Um, and, and then I guess <laughs> taking a step back, like really focusing in on the fraud triangle uh, and, and looking to see, actually, this is a, a good example. So if you look at the pressure side of the fraud triangle, and you're an auditor, financial statement auditor, and really taking a step back and saying, where would the pressure potentially be? And what does that mean for me as an auditor? So if you're doing financial statement auditing, 
and an organization is publicly traded, their pressure is going to most likely be more in having strong financial results uh, to help improve the stock price. Uh, so you're not going to necessarily see them trying to hide uh, revenue or uh, inflate expenses or something like that. But on the flip side, if it's a small organization that's um, a sole proprietorship or a much smaller organization than a publicly traded company that has no aspirations to become a publicly traded company either, their their motivation is going to be more on the opposite side where you're going to, to see them be more likely to have pressure to reduce their revenue, increase their expenses to reduce their tax burden. So really just thinking about that and seeing where that risk, where the risk is the greatest and then focusing on that area more uh, as opposed to just kind of treating everything equally, like really using that risk-based approach. But then if you have another organization that isn't publicly traded, but they have a, a, a line of credit or a, a loan with an organization, with a bank, and they have loan covenants, that can also be a pressure. Uh, so maybe in that situation, they do want to potentially inflate income or reduce expenses if they're if they have small profitability, but they're required to be profitable, like say as one of the loan covenants, then there'd be a lot of motivation to make sure that's in the, the green instead of the red, uh, which can be that pressure. Um, so really just taking a step back and understanding where those pressures would be, potentially where those rationalizations would be too, um, and and using that to make sure that you can really focus in on the areas that, that you can have the best shot at being able to identify something that would be a material misstatement, the financial statements. And what are some of the most common questions that, that you're hearing from CPAs, accountants, when it comes to fraud? What questions are they asking you? I guess it really depends on kind of the areas that they work in, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, just in general, uh, across kind of fraud, as a whole, the increase of uh, use of technology by fraudsters has made things potentially more challenging in uh, certain scenarios where in the past, when you have an altered document, it may be relatively easy to tell, where today it may be almost impossible to tell just based on looking at the document and not taking a step back and thinking critically about it. Uh, but at the same time, there's a lot more technology available to help detect fraud today compared to years in the past as well. Um, so there's a lot of interest in just technology, using analytics um, to help detect fraud. And I would say that's probably one of the one of the biggest areas is uh, how can we get more efficient and effective in identifying fraud. Uh, and that really comes back to technology and and uh, analytics at the end of the day. And where do you see fraud evolving in the future? You know, we've talked about some of the the recent trends. Um, what do you think we can expect to see from fraud in the next five to ten years? Uh, I would say to start we'll see a lot of the same as what we've seen in the past. Uh, so fraud today, when you 
boil it down, it is the same as what it was 15, 20 years ago. And even before that, um, there's money, potentially money to be had. There's pressures, there's rationalizations. Uh, fraud is not going away. And, uh, but at, at the same time, the methods that people take to commit fraud will continue to evolve. The, the tools and techniques that we have to detect fraud will continue to evolve as well. Uh, so really just trying to stay current and and uh, keep up with it is, is the biggest thing. If you just kind of consider it to be good to go right now with what you have uh, years down the road, you'll start to fall behind. So really just trying to keep up with, with changes in and technology and, and ways to help identify fraud um, are definitely critical. Thank you to James for joining us to talk more about fraud. And remember, you can hear more from him on December 20th at the Fraud and Forensic Conference. The link to register is in our show notes. What would you like to hear on the podcast? You can let me know at jsalerno, J-S-A-L-E-R-N-O at ohiocpa.com. And please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.